Hi, I'm Matthew Kind. Every Monday, look for a fresh new episode where I'll take you behind the scenes and interview the insiders that are shaping the rapidly evolving cannabis industry. Learn more at cannainsider.com. That's C-A-N-N-A insider.com. Now here's your program. With extracted cannabis-derived products making up about 50% of cannabis products sold, cannabis extraction equipment is in high demand. Here to tell us more about the state of cannabis extraction is Nick Tennant, CTO of Precision Extraction. Nick, welcome to Can Insider. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Give us a sense of geography. Where are you in the world today? Uh, our headquarters is outside of Detroit, Michigan, in a suburb called Troy, and that's where I'm at. Okay. And what is precision extraction on a high level? Precision extraction is an end-to-end solutions provider for anybody that's going to create uh, any sort of extracted product. So when we say end-to-end, we mean you can bring basically a piece of dirt to us and we can uh, outfit you with not only all of the engineering, all of the design, uh, we have partnered construction firms, obviously all of the equipment, the, the equipment setting and integration of that equipment. Uh, the design of the lab in terms of workflow and efficiencies, and then ultimately training the staff, getting the SOPs uh, implemented, and uh, assisting the client with bringing online a production facility that uh, does exactly what they want. Okay. And Nick, can you share a bit about your background and journey and how you got into the cannabis space and started uh, Precision Extraction? Yeah, absolutely. So I've been in cannabis now for about 17 years. Uh, I was in it since 2006. I had some family that was in California and Colorado, and I began traveling and and meeting with them and kind of looking at the space. Uh, I've always kind of been an entrepreneur. And in 2008, Michigan passed their law for medical use. I was the 40th person to get licensed here in Michigan under medical use. And we did a lot of different niches for the the following five years after Michigan passed their law. So, you know, we've operated dispensaries, we've done commercial grow, we've done analytical laboratory, uh, pretty much everything under the sun, you name it, I've I've operated in the space. About seven or eight years ago, really started to saw the trend go towards extraction and uh, looked at the technology at the time. It was very primitive and really tried to engineer a better mousetrap. So I taught myself how to engineer pressure vessels and and manufacture and develop a, a global supply chain. Uh, so did all that, went to market, first 90 days, did about a million dollars in sales and the rest is history. So now Precision is uh, the largest uh, extraction equipment solutions provider in the world. We operate uh, in uh, over 20 different countries. We've got installations and, and so we're a global company. But you know, really have a, a footprint in terms of the best clients in the world. Meaning, you know, if, if you've heard of, of a publicly traded company or a, uh, a blue chip uh, cannabis MSO, they're likely our client. Okay. So you obviously, you know, I'm not playing around with pressure vessels on, on the side here. So you obviously have a background in like, uh, what is this metal fabrication? What do we even call this? I don't know. Yeah, it would be, it would, so pressure vessel fabrication would be the proper terminology. It's regulated by something called the American Society of Mechanical Engineers, ASME. And uh, it's similar to basically, you know, nuclear submarines and, and pressure vessels for boilers and things like that, because you are using pressurized components to, to do what we're doing here in many instances. 
Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's really, it's a combination of technology and manufacturing. You know, we always say that we're ultimately in the end, we're a cannabis technology company because the, the form of the equipment always follows the methodology and the process, right? So, so what are we trying to do from a tech, technological standpoint? How are we trying to isolate uh, these high-value molecules from the cannabis plant? And how can we do that in the most efficient, effective manner? You know, one thing I want to talk about is biomass because it's a key variable that you hear tossed around a lot when you're discussing extraction. Can you just talk about why biomass is kind of one of the critical uh, variables when you're talking about extraction and what it means to you? Yeah. So to be more politically correct, I'll say, you know, it's, it's poop in, poop out. Uh, it's the, 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 the term in the industry, right? So the biomass is very important. Uh, when you think about, you know, what you're trying to do, the biomass is creating these molecules, THC, CBD, the other cannabinoids, uh, the terpenoids and, and flavonoids and things that you're trying to extract. And ultimately you're trying to get the native essence of that plant. So anything that's going to disturb that native, native essence is going to affect your ability to create a very good extraction or a very good extracted product. And some of these things um, can be, you know, environmental issues, but ultimately all of these molecules, the cannabinoids and terpenes and so forth, they can all oxidize. Um, So the more oxidation, the more degradation they have, the biomass has been sitting, if it's been overdried, if it's been exposed to too much heat, these are all things that degrade the natural essence of the plant. And therefore, we need to be uh, super conscious about how we're handling biomass and also super conscious about our practices for harvesting and preparing the biomass uh, in order to prepare for the extraction. And now some people consider, you know, different things part of biomass, like the stems and so forth. Do you, what do you consider part of the biomass and not part of the biomass, at least in the cannabis industry? Yeah, so I mean, technically, you know, biomass is kind of a blanket term, right? It can be used interchangeably through many industries. Uh, it, it really depends, but but typically what we try to isolate our biomass to is the cannabinoid rich areas of the plant. And the cannabinoid rich areas of the plant are the flowers, of course, and the what we call the sugar leaves. So the leaves that are directly adjacent or part of the flowers have a pretty high concentration of cannabinoids. The rest of the plant really doesn't have a high concentration of cannabinoids. When we talk about you know the root zone, the stems, the what we call the fan leaves, those are kind of like the solar panels of the plant for it to photosynthesize. Generally, most of that is discarded. Now, in instances when there's uh, high volume, for example, if there's acreage of cannabis or acreage of hemp, uh, some of that stuff becomes combined harvested and the combine actually just mills everything together, right? And that leads to a much lower quality of biomass. It leads to a much lower concentration of cannabinoids in the actual material. And ultimately it leads to more work in extraction and generally a less pure, um, less artisanal product. So kind of to the prior point, the, the preparation in harvest and how it's grown, how it's stored, how it's, how it's uh, prepared in order to go into the extraction device is very important. So there's really either a cost on the front end or the back end, whether if you're using a combine to cut down on, on cost on the back end, you don't have that surgical precision to pick out the parts of the plant that you want together. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, there's a lot of different ways to skin that cat, whether, you know, you're using mechanical, 
you know, large scale people use a, a, just a large workforce, right? It's, it's very laborious. You know, we've got a technology that, that we've implemented, which is a, a it's called the cryocan system. Mm-hmm. And that system actually uses liquid nitrogen in order to flash freeze and subliminate the water out of a freshly harvested plant. But it also uses an agitation system to separate those cannabinoids and purify those cannabinoids into what we call a sift. The sift is just really a uh, purified pile of cannabinoids. It looks like sand almost where it, the, the trichome heads, they look like little mushroom heads coming off of the, off of the buds and, and sugar leaves of the plant. Those trichome heads are snapped off due to the low temperature and separated, which is a very, very efficient way to harvest. Um, so that technology, and again, when I say that ultimately precision is a technology company, these are the types of examples that um, can be had. And, and the way that we think about how to isolate these molecules really drives the future of the innovation of the company. So can you give us a sense of how much cannabis biomass your extraction equipment can process in an hour? Because it seems like that's one of the first questions that comes up like, hey, if we're trying to fit into one of one of precision extractions, machines, extraction equipment, then how we need to know how much product you have going in and how much oil you want out. So give us an idea of kind of your lineup, like what the, on the small end and then on the high end. Yeah, absolutely. So our smallest equipment starts about five pounds a run, a run typically taking, you know, 30 to 40 minutes. So we, we like to say conservatively, it's around 40 pounds a day. So, we're, you know, we're not catering to uh, home users. You know, that's our lowest size of our commercial equipment. And just to give you an idea of scope on that, you know, if somebody's using a hydrocarbon piece of equipment to make artisanal products and they're processing, you know, 40 pounds a shift in an eight hour period, uh, that could be something that's, you know, potentially a, a seven to $12 million a year revenue business. Now, our equipment goes all the way up to uh, 10,000 pounds plus a day in our industrial line of extractors, which is our KPD series. And that KPD series is, again, that's more think about combine, think about high volume, um, you know, low, lower quality oil that needs to be refined and distilled and so forth. Uh, but any range in between there, we can accommodate. So typically at every sort of processing throughput, Precision has a solution. And depending on what product you're going to make, uh, our team and our specialists can absolutely consult and advise you on what combination of equipment is going to be most effective for your potential production and business plan. Yeah. I noticed that there's this kind of lingo in the industry and it makes sense just kind of how we use horsepower for cars. We kind of still use some legacy ideology with, you know, shifts, eight hour shifts, because that's how humans work. Are the, some of the machines you have now going to transcend this idea of working in eight hour shifts where you can put all the biomass in one area and it gets processed for you, you know, over a greater or shorter period than eight hours? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so all of the machines are capable of running 24 hours. Let's let's uh, start by putting context around that. Um, it really depends on and when you cross the inflection point. So really at, at around 2,000 pounds a day, you start crossing an inflection point where it doesn't make sense to do batch processing anymore because of the overly burdensome labor costs. And what that translates to is a more of an automated feed and automated discharge system like you see with our KPD series of extractors. So these are typical to either large THC players that are consolidated 
and have a massive amount of greenhouse space or to the CBD players, right? Because the CBD players are, are really extracting a, a large amount of acreage. So with that in mind, you know, you really um, can process 24 hours a day. Absolutely. With anything in a batch form, you have to have the human power really uh, robust in order to meet those high throughput processing demands in that short period of time with, with, uh, with minimal downtime. And with the automated system, you know, obviously the machines do a lot more work for you, but you know, it really is, you know, extraction really is an art. It really is artisanal. You can think of it almost like cooking uh, or, or making any sort of artisanal product and cannabis very much is an artisanal product itself. And you can think of that like micro brews. You can think of that like artisanal wines, right? So it, it, a lot of this stuff, even as the industry grows, there's going to be a lot of small batch production. And we see that obviously in our business. I mean, um, 2000 pounds a day is a lot of biomass. And then you can still do that on batch production. We call that high, high volume batch production, but um, it, it kind of just gives an overview of the trend of the industry and, and throughputs and automation versus uh, batch equipment and, and timeframes for processing. So you, you get the inside scoop from all these companies that are doing extraction for their business. They really tell you the truth uh, because they need your solutions. And so they want to tell you exactly what they're doing without naming names. Can you just give us an idea of kind of what the trends are in terms of what manufacturers are making like the most popular products that they're using the extraction equipment for? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, um, and a good way to really look at this too, is what are the consumer trends? I think, uh, you know, we talked about this a little bit before, but, uh, looking every, every state kind of has its own micro demographic, micro economy, um, and, and micro consumer trends. So the, the patterns of production are a little bit different from state to state. And one state may be more dominant on vape pens. One state may be more dominant on edibles. That might be a particular subsegment like gummies. Uh, we really see it all over the place. And I think that that's a, uh, it's really a result of the level of maturity in the market. So as consumers become more educated, they realize that there's a multitude of different ways to ingest cannabinoids. And as they understand that, They'll, they'll explore more products and gravitate towards perhaps newer, more innovative products. And most of those products, of course, come from extraction. And what we see is we see a shift generally from flour consumption to extract consumption, the more mature a market gets. So in terms of our clients, you know, they have a different strategy on a state-by-state basis. And typically what we see what we're building is a very diversified lab where that lab has the capability to do pretty much every product, whether that's, you know, distillate, whether that's isolate, vape pens, live resin, chatter, butter, wax, uh, sauce, uh, whether that's high volume crude for, for resale and separate processing or Rick Simpson oil. Typically what we see is these labs being extremely diverse in the ability to produce these products because the consumer trends do shift, right? And what's hot today is not necessarily hot tomorrow. And the market is extremely dynamic in that regard. I'm sure you get a lot of questions about whether hydrocarbon extraction, for example, using butane or propane is dangerous. When people ask that, how do you respond? Yeah, I mean, I would, it's, it's funny because, you know, a lot of 
competitors, um, they tend to market off of fear and things like that, especially the CO2 guys. And, and part of that is, you know, I always ask myself a question, if somebody's negative selling, what does that say about their company or what does that say about their technology? But, you know, when we, when we think about hydrocarbon, uh, hydrocarbon really is a technology that's been around for a very long time. So on a day-to-day basis, you know, you can't go a day without eating something that was extracted with hydrocarbon, whether that's uh, canola oil or, or soy, soy product derivative or natural flavoring, right? Those are all extracted with hydrocarbon. And hydrocarbon is flammable, of course, as is ethanol. Um, but the key thing to remember is we're working in a controlled environment, right? We're working with a piece of, uh, no pun intended, precision engineered equipment. And these are the same types of codes and regulation that you would operate in any sort of controlled laboratory environment. You'd operate in any sort of uh, environment like a oil rig or refinery where you're dealing with things that are potentially flammable. Uh, they're the same type of controls that um, you potentially put into anything where fuel is stored in terms of even your vehicle or a gas station. You know, a gas station has controls in it for anti-static and it's a class one division two area. And so Ultimately, um, these technologies are extremely safe, extremely safe. In our almost decade of operating history, we've never had a single client have any sort of instance of uh, accident. And that just kind of puts the context around, it's a lot of fear mongering. And the reality is hydrocarbon as a molecule, right? We think about it as this lock and key analogy. So there's always going to be a perfect solvent for an individual molecule that we're trying to extract or we're trying to dissolve, right? Um, and these these solvents vary in terms of what we call polarity, uh, and they vary in terms of their chemical structure. But what's important to understand is that hydrocarbon is almost the perfect chemical structure to extract cannabinoids and terpenes. So it gives the most efficient, the most effective uh, it picks up all the stuff that we want while leaving behind the cellular structure, the chlorophyll, uh, this, you know, the, the cellulose, the, the phospholipids, all the things that we don't want, uh, the hydrocarbon leaves behind, all the things that we do want, it brings to us. And ultimately, that leaves us with a very, very, very high quality extract in almost all circumstances relative to the other technologies in the market. Now, the other technologies are applicable. We sell ethanol equipment as well. Ethanol is less artisanal. Uh, it has more of a broad uh, range of extraction. It does pick up quite a bit of chlorophyll. It does pick up waxes and fats. Uh, you have to run it very, very, very cold in order to be effective uh, at any sort of artisanal product. And it's really good for high volume. But as we kind of previously drove this conversation, you know, it's an artisanal market. And ultimately, that trans in, translates into the majority of people using hydrocarbon equipment. And it's ultimately why, you know, our flagship models have been so successful over the last seven years. So it sounds like there's a lot of nuance there. It's not as simple as like, hey, CO2 or ethanol is better than butane or propane. There's there's trade-offs and nuance that you really have to dig deeper to uncover. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's it, at the end of the day, it all goes back to your product strategy and your product plan, right? And, and your throughput. So what are you trying to make? How much are you trying to make? Uh, of a particular product. And that's really what we do here at Precision, right? It's very much a consultative process 
uh, when somebody buys equipment for us because there is nuances. It is a very technical sale. There is a lot that goes to standing up a production line to making these particular uh, products. And ultimately, it's what has given us a tremendous amount of success because it's not only myself that's that's been in the industry for the amount of time that I've been in it, but we've got a very experienced staff. And, and I've personally you know, handpicked most of our technical team over the last five years and they've grown with us. And a lot of these guys have been in the industry for a decade plus, uh, been running extractions. You know, we've got thousands of installations of our equipment and we've, we've kind of seen it all. So, uh, you know, we're, we're consultants and advisors, uh, as much as we are uh, a, a company that's going to sell you something. So we're always the company that's going to stand there and make sure that you're meeting your production goals. Some of these multi-state operators or MSOs are raising a lot of money. They have a lot of capital. I'm sure they deploy a lot of it into high-end equipment with you. Do you have a recent install with an MSO that you can think of and what, what kind of solution they put in? Yeah, I have many. Um, unfortunately, you know, dis- discussing the details of uh, individual clients, MSOs in particular, their production plan is just probably not the best thing for me to do. I think they'd get a little upset with me. Um, You know, one thing that, you know, if somebody is curious that's listening to the podcast and we have a public disclosure um, memorandum or whatever you want to call it with, with this particular client, but if you want to look at a Fria's diamond facility, so they put on a new facility, it was a several hundred million dollar build and they put a really diverse uh, line of extraction equipment in there while I don't think that anybody will be able to uh, see the details in the, in the public domain. They can see the facility. So it gives you the type of idea and scope of infrastructure that's being built uh, by these large companies. And if you think about you know, their, their amount of revenue, just think about their amount of revenue. Half of that revenue is coming from extracted products, right? So if these companies are growing to, to multi-hundred million dollar companies, and in some cases, I do believe that these companies will get well over a billion dollars in revenue uh, as the market continues to grow. Just remember, half of that's coming from extracted products. Those extracted products all require uh, a robust infrastructure in order to be created. And, and that infrastructure is created by companies like Precision. Just a question about uh, back to biomass here. I noticed on one of your extraction machines, there's a, like a um, an area that cools down the uh, biomass before it goes into solvent. Can you talk about why that is and what happens if it doesn't get cooled down? Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's a pretty common practice to freeze biomass and in some instances, deep freeze biomass prior to extracting. And what we're really trying to do there, uh, depending on what what type of organic solvent we're using, the idea is to really freeze out the water because especially with polar solvents like ethanol, you're going to pick up water out of the biomass. And in many cases, the biomass that's fresh, fresh frozen um, it's, it's actually harvested while it's still alive. It's never, it's never dried, right? So if you think about a growing plant, this is how you make live resin. You actually harvest the plant while it's alive and it goes immediately into a vacuum sealed deep freezer. And that could be anywhere between, you know, negative 10 to negative 40. In some cases, people are even freeze drying. And what that does is it doesn't allow 
any of that oxidation to take place with these cannabinoids. So it's going to, it's going to preserve all those terpenes, all those cannabinoids, right? There's going to be zero degradation. If you think about it, like almost like a banana, right? The longer you let a banana sit on the counter, the more that oxidative degradation process takes place. Uh, and the more that, you know, the, the, the compounds are turned into glucose, the more it degrades, et cetera. Same sort of principle happening with cannabis. Now, when it's fresh frozen, you're preserving that, right? It's just like frozen fruit. Uh, you're putting it into the machine and ultimately extracting it in the same manner that would be if it was uh, completely fresh. It could, it could be ostensibly sitting for 50, 60, you know, 100 days in the freezer, vacuum sealed, but it's going to give and yield the same result as if it was completely fresh. The other side of that is freezing it in order to... Uh, to bypass any sort of water. So any sort of polar solvent, uh, ethanol, methanol, things like these, they're going to pick up water really, really easy. And it's just the nature of the molecule. It likes to, it likes to grab onto the water where, uh, hydrocarbons more hydrophobic, uh, ethanol, methanol, and things like that are not. So they tend to pick up water, but if we keep it very, very cold, uh, the water stays frozen and we can bypass that. Can you tell us some of the most common mistakes you see from business owners just getting into the space in terms of lack of understanding and what's needed and what they could do to get on the right track more firmly earlier on? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that probably uh, the the comments and the discussion and just the narrative that we've had thus far, I think that it, it it's starting to paint a picture that there is a lot of nuances. Um, there is a lot that goes into this business in terms of extraction. And I think that the number one mistake that people make is that they don't have somebody on their side that really knows what they're doing. Now, you know, they hire somebody uh, and maybe that person knows what they're doing. Maybe they don't. Uh, it's, it's, it's hard to find people that are really, really good in this industry. And the people that are really, really good all have jobs at, you know, MSOs or, you know, the, the top tier talent uh, always goes to, to the best places. So somebody that's starting out, uh, their best bet is to find, you know, is as good as talent as they can, but to really find somebody that knows what they're doing, somebody like a precision or hire a consultant that really has a strong history and reputation in the industry, because there are so many pitfalls. And the second thing I would say is, you know, it's kind of common sense, but budget, um, you know, making sure that the budget is is accurate and um, planning accordingly. And then the third thing I would say is understanding your market, right? We talked about each state and each individual market being its own microeconomy and having individual consumer niches within each of these uh, individual marketplaces. That's extremely, extremely important to understand because, you know, from, from day one, you're planning your production and sizing your equipment according to what you think you can sell, obviously. What product is your business going to make? And with that being said, it requires a substantial amount of due diligence. And we see this, um, that really a lot of people, they, they don't really understand their market as well as they should. And we give them advisement, of course, on, on what products to make, how to make them, and, and bring the the production online in the proper manner, but really doing the due diligence around the consumer trends in, in your in your state, that's huge. Absolutely. And what are your extraction pods? Can you talk about those a little bit? Who, who buys them and what are they for? Sure. Yeah. So the extraction pod is a, um, think of it as a, a pre-made lab in a box. 
ultimately what it is, is it's a, it's an ocean container that's been outfitted with all the appropriate controls, meaning ventilation, electrical, class one, division one, equipment placement, et cetera, that's uh, pre-listed. And what that translates to is no build out in your facility. And it's something that can be dropped on site and be used pending the uh, approval of the municipality because it is a temporary structure, but it saves our clients from doing a very um, labor-intensive, robust build-out. Alternatively, if they are doing a build-out, this gives them the option to bring their facility online faster so long as the municipality that they're operating in is okay with these types of structures being placed uh, on the property. So is it also kind of used as a supplement when they're kind of between different sized extractive equip- extraction equipment? They say, okay, I'm going to supplement with a pod until I get to a higher level or is that not yeah. really, is that kind yeah, of? Can, okay. Yeah, can, can be. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, they get into a facility, they're in there for two years, they need their production ramped up, you know, their new facilities coming online, but they need excess capacity. So yeah, they can bring that online. It's it's extremely universal. It's meant to be uh, like a it, not necessarily an ad hoc solution because I don't really like think that that's the proper terminology. But it's supposed to be a, you know a quick uh, response type of solution where you know it's saving the client 90, 120, 180 days on going through permitting, going through build out, going through plan comments and, and all the stuff that it takes in order to build out one of the, these facilities and bring it online. Okay. Where do you see the extraction business changing and evolving in the next three to five years? Well, I think the big thing that's going to happen is we're going to get CGMP standards. So CGMP means uh, current good manufacturing practices. And when we look at any sort of nutraceutical or supplement or anything like that, all of the manufacturing of supplements in the United States is subject to FDA regulation and it's subject to CGMP uh, standards. And we're starting to see that inch into the edibles market uh, in certain municipalities. And we're starting to see that inch into the production of CBD based products. But ultimately what you're going to see is you're going to see blanket CGMP compliance across the entire cannabis space. So, you know, we're obviously advising our clients that they need to prepare for that and build for that and plan for that. Our equipment is already CGMP certified. So uh, certified is really not right the, the right nomenclature. It's more, um, it's CGMP compliant or CGMP ready because the equipment is only one part of the GMP process. You have quality management systems and personnel training and quarantine processes and facility uh, cleanliness standards and all these sort of things that go into CGMP. But in terms of, um, you know, where the industry is going 100%, that's, that's where it's going on a compliance standpoint. On a standpoint of product, the industry is going to trend towards, um, all these other minor cannabinoids, right? So we've got, we, we really just know about a few of these cannabinoids, or I would say that the public domain, knows about a handful of them. Maybe they heard of CBD or CBG or CBN, or obviously they've heard of THC. Maybe they've heard of Delta-8 THC, which is an isomer of the, of Delta-9 THC or isomer of uh, the acidic version of THC. But what most people don't know is there's over a hundred of these cannabinoids in the plant. And each of these cannabinoids has a unique molecular structure. 
based upon the molecular structure of each of these cannabinoids, it binds to what's called your endocannabinoid system within your body. Your endocannabinoid system is an endogenous system that actually regulates many things within your body. So uh, for example, your sleep, your mood, your flight or a fight or flight response, um, you know, your, your nervous system, moving you out of uh, parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system uh, activity in certain scenarios. So the, the bottom line, uh, without going into all the robust medical details, is that these cannabinoids, the way that they interact with your body, they have tremendous, tremendous promise. And we've seen that with CBN, with CBG, with CB, CBC. We've seen it with CBD, obviously. We've seen it with THC. But all of these have a little bit of a different effect. And in some cases, they have a profoundly different effect, right? CBD doesn't get you high. THC gets you high. Uh, but they all are going to have a very distinct uh, and very robust therapeutic benefit. And in a lot of cases, uh, these will be made into products that are uh, multi, multi-billion dollar products. You know, we've got 152 clinical trials going on right now with different cannabinoids. And we're really just beginning to scratch the surface of what we know is available and where this technology uh, of, of isolating these molecules and using them to improve quality of life. We're, we're just beginning to understand what we can do right now. Nick, I'd like to transition to some personal development questions to help listeners get a better sense of who you are. With that, is there a book that's had a big impact on your life or your way of thinking that you'd like to share? Oh, many books. Um, so I, I read probably, I'd say 50 books a year, usually about one a week. Um, you know, I think that there's a, a few, you know, whether it's from an investment standpoint or a health standpoint. Um, but some of the ones that I, I really, really liked, um, you know, I like, I like Benjamin Graham's work. Um, I think that it teaches you how to, how to think about the fundamentals of business. And from a business standpoint, I think it's a really good book from investing also, but thinking about the fundamentals of what creates a successful business, you know, and these guys have have invested in businesses and created businesses and, and helped to advise the management of businesses for a very, very long time. So from a, from a standpoint of business, I, I really like most of Benjamin Graham's work, you know, from, from a health standpoint, um, you know, I, I like Dr. Ben Lynch's work. Uh, he does a, a lot of work on the human genome and, and it's interesting because, you know, I, I had my genome mapped and a lot of other people have their genome mapped and you kind of, you understand that you're a very unique individual and, and people push a certain diet or certain lifestyle or, or any number of these different things. But ultimately, uh, the research shows that it's all genetically specific and uh, some people can tolerate things while, while others can't. And the more that you understand about your personal genome uh, and the more that you understand about how to provide your body nutrition I think that that gives you a tremendous leg up in whatever you want to do in life, right? Because everything uh, on a molecular and cellular level in your body is operating in an optimal scenario. So yeah, from a, from a health uh, standpoint, I really, really like that. Okay. I haven't heard of that one. What's the most interesting thing going on in your field besides what you're doing? Uh, well, again, you know, it's, I, I think the most interesting thing goes back to the cannabinoid research, right? Because it's, it, we're a fraction of 1% into that. 
And ultimately, I mean, it's just an endless black hole of unknowns, but the little that we do know is so overwhelmingly positive for humanity that it just becomes so exciting to be able to continue on that research and to be able to make money from that also is just, it's, it's amazing. Right. So, um, I'm super excited to see where the, where the rest of the industry goes in terms of being able to, again, use these, these mystical compounds, if you will, within the cannabis plant to treat, cure, and prevent uh, human disease. Here's a Peter Thiel question for you. What's one thought that you have that most people would disagree with you on? Oh, boy. Um, I think I have a lot, but... <laughs> Yeah. In terms of a contrarian, you know, I think that, you know, when you look at a particular situation or a particular person or a problem, you have to look at it holistically. Uh, I've always tried to do that. Well, not always, but in, in my more recent years, I've tried to, I've tried to look at it holistically. What are all the variables top to bottom, end to end? And um, to analyze anything like that, uh, gives you, I think, a, a greater benefit of your desired outcome. So whether that's, you know, hiring somebody within your organization, whether that's uh, making a particular investment in, into a particular asset, you know, these are all kind of on the same theme, whether it's your personal health, right? Uh, looking at it, looking at it holistically and understanding the truth of, whether it's, you know, the root cause, or in some cases it could be characterized as the fundamentals, but it takes a deep level of analysis to do that. And it's kind of on the line of the thinking of a, a researcher or technologist. And some people think that that's completely crazy. Um, but whenever I make big decisions, that's how I think about them anyways. Okay. Final question about Michigan you know, obviously Detroit kind of got its lunch eaten when foreign auto manufacturers came in and displaced a lot of American jobs. But is there a renaissance at all? I mean, obviously you're a specific example of using, you know, manufacturing skills and engineering skills and creating jobs there in Michigan. But apart from what you're doing, are you seeing a broader trend of retooling going on in Michigan? Yeah, I mean, you know, particularly as it pertains to cannabis, I'd say Michigan's economy is is generally in an uptrend. Uh, the way that people have perceived Detroit for a very long time is probably not what you would anticipate when you come here. When you come here, it's actually really nice. Everything's new. Uh, everything's clean. Um, and it, it's not the typical perception, I guess, is what I would say. Now, cannabis in Michigan is actually booming. Um some of the numbers out of BDS and these other publications are anticipating that the Michigan cannabis market is going to be upwards of a $3 billion industry within the next few years here. And it's ultimately translated into a lot of jobs being created and a lot of dollars being uh, materialized into the economy here. So I think that, you know, Michigan uh, has a lot of resources, obviously, in terms of uh, engineering and so forth. I don't know if that directly translates into uh, cannabis specifically. I know that a lot of people 
from automotive have come into cannabis. The majority of our staff, uh, our engineers, our project managers, and, and so forth and so on, a lot of them have come out of automotive. Um, you know, and and automotive is still obviously one of the dominant industry sectors here, but Michigan as a whole has diversified economically away from being you know pigeonholed into one industry. Also, so I think all in all, it's a it's a positive trend for the state. Well, that's a great note to end on, Nick. Uh, as we close, can you tell listeners how they can find out more about precision, precision extraction and how to reach you or connect with you or a salesperson or someone to learn more about your solutions? Sure, absolutely. So they can find me on LinkedIn. Um, just type in my name, Nick Tennant, Precision Extraction, you'll find me. Uh, and if you want to talk to anybody about our products or uh, strategy regarding your extraction, we're happy to help. You know, we're, we're in uh, Monday through Friday, nine to five, and we've got a robust staff of uh, extremely uh, intelligent and, and um, experienced people that can help you out. So our website is precisionextraction.com. And uh, you can give us a ring at uh, 855-420-0020. I love the 420 in there. Yeah, we always had to sneak that in. You know, we can't, we got to remember our roots, right? So <laughs> Great. Well, Nick, best of luck to you. It sounds like you don't need any luck. Things are just booming. Well done and creating your business and good luck in the rest of 2021. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure speaking with you and uh, look forward to doing it again. If you enjoyed the show today, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever app you might be using to listen to the show. Every five-star review helps us to bring the best guests to you. Learn more at cannainsider.com forward slash iTunes. What are the five disruptive trends that will impact the cannabis industry in the next five years? Find out with your free report at cannainsider.com forward slash trends. Have a suggestion for an awesome guest on Canna Insider? Simply send us an email at feedback at cannainsider.com. We'd love to hear from you. Please do not take any information from Canna Insider or its guests as medical advice. Contact your licensed physician before taking cannabis or using it for medical treatments. Promotional consideration may be provided by select guests, advertisers, or companies featured in Canna Insider. Lastly, the host or guests on Canna Insider may or may not invest in the companies or entrepreneurs profiled on the show. Please consult your licensed financial advisor before making any investment decisions. Final disclosure to see if you're still paying attention. This little whistle jingle you're listening to will get stuck in your head for the rest of the day. Thanks for listening and look for another Canna Insider episode soon. Take care. Bye-bye.